Thanks for joining us at Summit Church. No matter where you are at on life's journey, you are welcome here. We are excited to share God's word with you through this week's message. How many sing in the shower? Raise your hand. Sing in the shower. Come on, be honest. Come on, be honest. Sing in the shower. Seriously, come on. Right? How many sing in the car when you're by yourself? Sing in the car by yourself? Look at that. Yeah, yeah. And how many think you got the best voice in the whole world, right? I mean, if, 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 I, if I could just take a shower on stage, I mean, I'm telling you, people would be blown away. I'm amazing in the shower. I'm just saying. And how many sing in the car when you're with somebody? You know what I'm saying? You're pretty brave. There you go. Come on. And how, about, how, how many have been at a four-way or a stoplight, and you're just kind of sitting there waiting for a change, and you look over, and you see somebody with the windows up that's going... Come on, yeah, right. How many have been that person going out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, <laughs> yeah. I think we all could probably say that to some some degree in our life. My my grandfather, my grandfather, he was an interesting father. He a grandfather. He was a, he, he he was from a family that um were like opera singers, and they they sang opera up in Pennsylvania, and uh, so he came from this very cultured background. And, of course, he ended up in the Midwest, and we, you know we're—you don't sing opera in the Midwest; you sing country music in the Midwest. And, and so, so anyway, I was pastoring the church that they were attending um, as well with me, and and, um, and and he just didn't know any of the songs. I mean, he grew up singing all hymns, and we were kind of singing a lot of different types of songs, and he didn't know any of the words. So, yeah, I never even heard him sing. But one day, I was leading worship, and. Um, and, and we sing an amazing grace. And all of a sudden, out of, I'm telling you what, it was like, it was like Gabriel had showed up in the house. And, and, oh, man, you know how the opera does, oh, and that was my grandfather. And, and, I mean, he had these pair of lungs that, I mean, it's like vibrated off of the, in fact, everyone just stopped singing and started looking at it. I had a microphone, I had a sound system, he was louder than my sound system. My grandmother was going back like that, but he didn't care. He finally knew a song, <laughs> and he was going to let everybody know he knew how to sing. <laughs> oh, he loved to sing. Every once in a while, I'd hear him out in the garden just working and just singing the top of his lungs. I, I love to hear him sing. But maybe you've been in a restaurant or, or a department store or something like that, and the music starts coming on, and... Um, and suddenly something starts happening inside of you. Come on, you know what I'm saying? And that Michael Jackson side of you, you know, so starts. <laughs> putting that blouse up. <laughs> Come on, you know. <laughs> She's giving me the stink eye. I get the stink eye. That's the stink eye right there. I get the stink eye about once a sermon. Once a sermon. <laughs> But you know what? You can't. Something's like going on inside of you. My kids are like, Dad, please stop, stop, stop. You know they, they're embarrassed and everything. But I, I just love. I mean, you're sitting at that restaurant, you're waiting for your salad to come, whatever, and the music, and you just gotta tap. You gotta do something. There's something about music. There's something about a song that gets inside of you, and that, that, that's why people come to the music fest. Forty thousand people come, spend forty million dollars to stand in a hot sun to do what? To sing a song that they know. There's something about this thing called a song that's so huge and so important. This morning, we're going to talk about this guy named Zechariah. Now, we're going to be in the book of Luke for the first two chapters of Luke. Now, Luke was written 
Uh, he's a contemporary of Paul. He was a physician, and he wrote the book of Luke. He also wrote the book of Acts. And in these first two chapters, if you haven't read in the first two chapters of Luke, you'll find something interesting. Actually, there are actually four songs that are sung in the first two chapters of Luke. In fact, Zechariah is the first person that sings a song, and he sings it on the, at the uh, at birth of his own son, which was John the Baptist. And then we see Mary she, singing a song when she gets the news that she's going to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit with the Messiah, and she breaks out in the song and starts singing. And then we see the angels come and show up to the shepherds, and they start busting out a song. And then lastly, we see that Jesus is born on the eighth day. They take him to the temple to be um, dedicated to the Lord. And Simeon, the prophet, busts out in the song. It's something about music and it's something about a song that's so personal and so important to us. It's, a, it's, it's the most intimate way you can express probably your feelings to another person or convey your feelings in the world. It's, and so these songs start coming forth immediately at the convergence of Jesus coming to the earth. It was like the New Testament version of, of musical Broadway hits, you know, Jerusalem and Israel. You know what I'm saying? It's like Israel meets Broadway in this. Remember musical? How many know what I'm talking when I say a musical? Yeah. Young people probably don't know what I'm talking about music. Maybe they do, but, but, but like Oklahoma with the wind comes sweeping down the plain. You got some cowboy walking down the street, all of a sudden he busts out in the tune, Oklahoma with the wind. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like suddenly music meets reality in, in, in the world. And songs like Fiddler on the Roof. How about this? My, 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 mother, made all, my mother made all of my children sit down and watch the hills are alive with the, you know what I'm talking about. How about this one? Uh, uh, Alex, um, Alex, musicals for 200, please. Okay. Name this song to this particular musical. Where is love? Does it fall from skies above? Is it underneath the willow tree that I've been dreaming of? Nobody knows? Nobody knows that musical? Oliver. Oliver Twist, yes. Y'all should be ashamed of yourself. That's terrible. You really wanted me to sing more. That's what you were doing. I know what you wanted. But how many, when you're singing a song... They really listen to the words of the song. Sometimes we listen just because of the beat or whatever. I'm not really getting, so we're going to go read the Bible here. But, I, but the, the, the words to the song, the words are powerful. I was, uh, I was on a fishing boat um, here a couple months ago, and uh, the owner of the, the boat was um, playing a song, uh, playing music on the radio. And so my Pastor Isaac and I were sitting uh, in the seat, uh, just kind of taking a break from the fishing, and and uh, I, he got really quiet, and I looked over at him, and, and uh, I could tell he was getting a little emotional. And I'm like, we're on a fishing boat. And uh, he's getting emotional, and I said, dude, you, what's going on? You all right? He goes, you ever heard this song, man? I wasn't even paying attention. I'm like, mm, no, I don't think so. He goes, 
I cry every time. I cry every time I hear the song. I'm like, what is it? And he tells me, oh, he told me it's um, Trace Atkins, You're Gonna Miss This song, old country music song. And I'm like, eh. he goes, if you ever want to cry, just listen to that song. I'm like, oh. I'll write that one down. So as soon as I was in my truck by myself, punching YouTube, you're going to miss this, and I cried all the way home. <laughs> something about a song. Something about a song. So in the first uh, chapter of Luke, in chapter 1, verse 5 through 7, we see this guy named Zechariah. He is a descendant of Aaron, who was the first priest of Israel. So he comes from the lineage of with the tribe of Levites, who were the priests of that time. And he is now, uh, now he himself is a priest, Zechariah, as well as his wife Elizabeth, uh, had been of the same lineage. And the Bible tells us that this is a very righteous man. He was very careful to obey all the laws of the Lord. And, and they were following God as best they could. They were good people, but there was a problem. The problem was that he or his wife was barren. Now, in those days and times in that culture, they had this wrong belief system, but that's what they believed, that you simply, um, you, the, the results of your life was a direct uh, result of things that you had done or had not done. And so when a person was barren, they used to think, well, the reason they're barren is because they had obviously done something wrong. So you can imagine this kind of, in that culture, sense of shame or guilt upon their life. Not only were they not able to have children, but obviously they're broken to some degree, uh, but no one would ever admit that. And surely, I'm sure there were times where Zachariah and Elizabeth were walking down the streets and people would be whispering in the corner and no doubt the thought had to come to them, well, I'm sure they're talking about us. We know we have no child. And perhaps they would go to the Jerusalem market or mall from time to time and see a family and their children together and this longing come up within them. If we could only have a child, why don't we have a child? And so they're childless, and, and, but doing the best they can. And then it moves on, verses 8 through 10, and talks to us about in this, this, uh, what was about to happen in, with Zechariah. So in those days, uh, only one tribe, the Levites, were allowed to minister before the Lord in behalf of the rest of the nation. The issue was there were so, so many Levites, or priests, if you would, 18,000, some theologians believe, that there was more priests than there was work to do. So what they did was they divided all these priests up into 24 different divisions. And they said, each division will take two weeks of the year, and you will you know, pull off your job or pull off, you know, leave your house. You'll come and you'll minister for two weeks uh, unto the Lord. One of the most important jobs of the priest was one person would go in uh, every day, and he would carry the incense into the holy place. Beyond the holy place was the holy police. His hair is simple. He would go in and carry the incense, and he would make sure that there was incense being offered unto the Lord every morning and every evening. And then when he would come out of this holy place, he would say a prayer and a blessing over the people. Now, the thing about it was only one man was allowed to go into this sacred place. Never before was anyone, two or three people allowed 
and it was not allowed. Only one person could minister. And so they would literally cast slots, kind of like a lottery, to see what priests would be picked to go in and minister before the Lord. Many priests would spend most of their, life, their whole life never having the privilege of going in and ministering incense before the Lord. It was considered one of the greatest privileges of any priest, like, like winning the Super Bowl ticket on the 50-yard line, you know, a once-in-a-lifetime perhaps thing. And so here, Zechariah, the lot fell to him. He got the privilege of being the guy that goes in this particular day to minister incense. And once you ministered, you were never allowed to do it again. You were one and done. It was all it was. And so he was so thankful. In fact, it was such a rare privilege that relatives and friends and all family would all come as well to support the priest and to be blessed by that particular priest because and rejoice and share in his joy as he had that privilege. And so we see Zechariah going into this holy place to minister incense before the Lord. And something happened that had never happened before. There beside the altar of incense, a man appears and shows up. His name was Gabriel. He says, I'm Gabriel, and I come to give you some goodness. Fear not. How many know angels always say fear? First thing is they fear not. The reason they say that is because you've messed your britches and you have got a problem. And you probably have fainted and passed out. And, and so, and so he, he's like, oh, oh. And he's like, don't be scared. Don't, it's, it's all right. I got, I, I got some good news to tell you. You're, you're going to give birth to a son. And he's like, okay, hold on a second. You're not supposed to be here, but you are, so this must be a God thing. You must be an angel. And, and you, what, what, what? You're going to have a son, and he's going to be a forerunner of the Messiah. Oh, oh this is too much. He said, what, 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 what? No, no, how, how, this couldn't happen. My wife, this is, that ship has done sail. This isn't going to happen. Maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that would have been a good news. I would have loved to hear that. But not now. How could, how could this be? Show me a sign that such a thing could happen if you truly are an angel. He goes, okay, how about this sign? You're not going to be able to talk until that baby's born. He's like, <laughs> and he can't talk. For the next nine months, that dude can't talk. Come on. He's like, Oh my, he comes out, they're waiting for a prayer and a blessing. He comes out, he is like ashen white, like he had seen an angel. <laughs> and they're like, Zechariah, you all right? Elizabeth, what's wrong with your husband? I, I don't know. Zechariah, what, speak the prayer and blessing over us. That's what you do. Now, my wife can understand everything I'm saying. Right, She's good at reading lips. I can't read lips at all. So do you know what I'm saying right now? Yeah, she's good. So, she's good. She's really good. Uh, another story, another time. But anyway, he's, <laughs> he's, he's trying to communicate. He can't even pray the blessing over the people. And so anyway, he's, he's startled, and all this has taken place, of, that this thing could happen. And so for the next nine months, he's watching this little baby grow within his wife. And imagine not being able to, like, you know, tell her, I'm so excited. I, this is unbelievable. This is incredible. I can't, what's going on? All this stuff going on in his mind and his heart. He's like, 
oh, and, but he can't talk. He can't communicate. It. And he'd just put his hand on her belly, and, and he'd pray inside of his heart for her, and he'd try to mouth or write down something he was trying to think. And, and for the next nine months, he can't talk. He can't communicate. And he's just going through this terrible time of life, but yet excited at the same time. And let me tell you something. There's something about Something about uh, giving birth to something that's real and of the purpose of God. And he's about to enter into this thing that was absolutely amazing because, well, that's the, the song. All is, he just kept hearing this song inside of his heart. He's, for nine months, he's like writing down this song in his heart. He's got something boiling up inside of him. And finally, when the baby is born, man, the baby is born. They have this conversation. All of a sudden, John goes, no, he's going to be called. Um, Zachariah goes, look, it's not going to be Zachariah. He's writing this down. His name is going to be called John. He's got his voice back. And the first thing he does is he starts to sing. That's crazy, right? He's been he's had this song in his heart. Every song usually is birthed out of some kind of a hurt or a pain or experience or a joy or a victory. He's been walking with this name for nine months. He goes, and he just you can imagine all of a sudden, maybe some Hebraic way, he goes, mm, praise to the exalted Lord God of Israel. You know how they do in the Jewish deal. And they're like, what is going on? They begin to talk about Zechariah all across Judea and all the hills of Bethlehem, Jerusalem, all across the nation. They're talking about this crazy story that's taking place with this cuckoo priest that went into the temple, come up, couldn't talk, and now his barren wife is a child, and she's an old woman, and she's got this little kid. And this whole prophetic song, the greatest songs of history come from people who've been touched by a living God. Let me tell you something like this. Let me say it like this. Socrates taught for 40 years, and yet you don't ever have one song you've ever heard from, uh, as a result of Socrates' teachings. Plato taught for 50 years, but not one song have I ever heard about this incredible man or all of his teachings. But Jesus taught for three and a half years, and still to this day, we cannot stop singing and talking about this man. The greatest songs have been written as a result of this son, Jesus, being born. Handel, as a result, Bach and Mozart and Mendelssohn. In fact, Mendelssohn, when he came to know Jesus, wrote all of his songs before in minor keys. But after he came to Jesus, he says, I'm done writing songs in minor keys. I've had such a major transition happen in my life. I'm going to write all my songs in a key, of a major key. And his whole life was transformed. And all of his songs and everything that came, when you have Jesus inside of you, stuff begins to come out of you that is that's life-giving, that people want to hold on to. And that's the power of this thing that Zechariah is about to experience, that something is about to happen in the heavenlies that's going to touch the earth, and it's going to create a song within him, just like God does in you. Just like he does in you. When you've been set free, you got to sing a song. When you've been touched and recognized that you've been saved, something, something comes out of your heart and out of your spirit. And it's a game changer. Real quickly, I want to talk to you in the moment we have left. The good news from Zechariah's lyrics. The good news from Zechariah's lyrics. 
Number one, God uses people who are full of faith and doubt at the same time. This is what we see about him. He's a man full of faith, and yet he's a man full of doubt. I don't know about you, but that's good news for me. How many of us have questions? And Sometimes we feel like, you know, we believe God can move mountains, and then the next day we feel like the mountain has moved us. Some of us have been hurt and wounded to such a degree that sometimes that wound tries to reach back and touch us and affect us and paralyze us. And, and then the next day or next week, we're, we feel like we're on top of the world and, and all is well. And, and, and this, like, this stuff's going on inside of us, doubt and faith and faith and doubt. That's exactly where Zechariah is. Zechariah, a man of faith. And then in the matter of a conversation, a man of doubt. And, and the good news is, is that God hears and understands that. And, and God wants us to know that, that he is here. No matter if you're filled with doubt or filled with faith, God will still remain the same. And he will still minister to you and still use you and still bless you and still fulfill his purpose through you. It doesn't matter that you had doubt two weeks ago or doubt yesterday or you cursed God last week. It doesn't matter. God will forgive because God still sees your purpose and your plan and he will move through you because he knows who you are and who's inside of you to begin with. Come on, someone say amen. And secondly, we learn from Zechariah's story that God uses people in obscure places to introduce his message to the world. Obscure places. I mean... Where's this guy from, Zechariah? What? Really nowhere. If you look at major players in the Bible, Gideon, God, I'm the least of the least. Who am I? I'm the least tribe, of the, one of the least people, families of the tribe I'm in. You look at people like David singing out in the fields in Bethlehem, seemingly a nobody from nowhere. And yet God takes these people from obscure places and and he puts a message inside of them that changes the world. William Seymour, you may have never heard of William Seymour. William, William Seymour was a one-eyed African-American man at the turn of the century, the 1900s, and got filled with the Holy Spirit, moved out to Los Angeles, and there in Azusa Street, the little street in Los Angeles, opened up a little mission downtown and began to preach the, the gospel with such fire and passion and power because he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Literally, people came from all over the nation to this little tiny church, Azusa Street. Literally, all over the world, people began to come to experience the touch of the power of God. What is that all about? I'm here to tell you and remind you that God uses people from obscure places to change the world. I'm a candidate for that. Come on. I live in South Alabama. So do you. And yet, I believe God has not forgotten us and wants to use us. Number three, even in silence, God is consistently working. Even in silence, God is consistently working. To understand this, we have to know this, that God hasn't spoken for 400 years prior to this. Now, America is, what, 200 and some years old? 
almost twice the age of America was Israel at that point where they had not heard from God one time. The last time anyone had heard from God and spoken on behalf of the Lord was Malachi. The last book of the Old Testament, he had prophesied. And 400 years from the time Malachi spoke until now Zechariah's visitation from the angel, not one word had come down through the corridors of time declaring the word of the Lord. Can you imagine living in a culture where God's word has, wasn't heard at all? Can you imagine living in a culture where no one could ever hear the voice of God, where you never had a conversation with a friend or a neighbor where they said, you know, this, I was praying the other day and God said, 400 years and God not speaking, 400 years of silence. That's why it just blew Zechariah's mind. And that's why when John the Baptist came upon the scene, people flocked from literally all across the region, kings coming out of their palaces to hear what Jesus said. Some reed waving in the wind? No, to hear the words of the Lord. And God doesn't care if you wear camel skin and eat locusts for breakfast. If you have the word of the Lord and you're living out in the middle of an obscure place called a wilderness, if you carry the word of the Lord deep in your spirit and you let it come forth out of your heart and speak, I'm telling you, people will come from all over the place to hear the word of God. I'm telling you, it's inside of you. And inside of me, one of the favorite things you need to pray every day is, God, give me a word. Give me a word. Give me a word for me. Give me a word for my family. Give me a word for my neighbor. Give me a word for somebody I don't even know. Because you can hear from God. And God wants to use you to speak and be a mouthpiece. Even in silence, God is consistently working. Number four, what this teaches me, the stories that Jesus saves. Hmm. Verse 68, he starts singing about this God who is redeeming his people. And he starts talking about how God was going to lay down a price in order to purchase our salvation. Because that's what redemption means, to buy something back. And it says in verse 69, he says, And he has raised up a horn of salvation. For us in the house of his servant David. He's raised up for us a horn of salvation. You know, the horn, what is that? In, in Bible days, they would take a ram's horn and they would hollow it out and they would fill it with oil. And whenever you wanted to anoint someone as a king, you would fill that, or, that horn with oil and then you would go, and like they did with David, and you would pour it over his head. And that was... God's sign that his hand is upon your life and his anointing, his power, his boldness is now going to flow through your life. You may not have felt it. You may have not felt that you're worthy of it, but that doesn't disqualify the fact it's still going to happen. And what God says to us is that God has raised up a horn of salvation, a horn of oil to come and bless the house of Israel. And I like it what the Passion Version says. Your anointing has made me strong and mighty, and you've empowered my life for triumph by pouring fresh oil over me. In other words, Zechariah begins to sing from the bottom of his heart after nine months of silence and declare to all the world that through this Messiah that's soon to come, there would be a horn of oil that would be poured upon a people 
that would believe in him, and it would create a boldness and a fearlessness that would be so powerful within them that wherever they went, things would change. The horn of salvation. Mm. The good news is that in opposition to deist theology that God just made the world and threw it into a corner and we just kind of have to do the best we can without God's personal relationship is now thrown out the window. God comes now into our midst and he chooses now to be like us and he chooses to live with us and he chooses to experience everything that we experience. And he comes to save. And so this brings us to number five. God keeps his word. Mm. The Old Testament is filled with 333 prophecies. 333 prophecies declaring there would be this Messiah to come. 333 prophecies. And when Zechariah steps up into history, what he begins to lay out is this thought that God remembers you. Hmm. Listen, we, we, we're going to pull out, and probably you already have. You've crawled up into the attic, and you've dusted off, you know, the little manger scene. And you've got the shepherds over here, and you've got the wise men over here, and you've got little baby Jesus in and, and this little manger. You've got some straw, and you've got some little animals around. You've got Mary, and you've got Joseph, and everybody looks so cute. And, and we just talk about, you know, how, what Christmas is, is about us, you know, remembering Jesus. Yeah, that's, that's important. We need to remember Jesus, remember Jesus. We, 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 I love seeing manger scenes in people's yards. I love all that. But, but then once Christmas is over, we, we pack little baby Jesus back up in the box and along with his mom and dad and the animals, and, and we, we walk up into the attic and we set him in the corner. But what God wants us to know that Christmas is more than us remembering Jesus. Here's the, here it is. God remembers you. God has remembered you. I'm thankful my God didn't forget me. I'm thankful I'm not stuck in some Old Testament way of living where i got to go kill some kind of an animal just to have my conscience free for a few moments. I, I'm thankful that I can wake up in the morning, open my eyes, and, and look into the heavens and say, raise my hands and say, Father, thank you that you love me and you're going to talk to me today and you're going to walk with me today. You freed me from guilt and condemnation and shame and waywardness. I thank you that you made me your child. Oh, I thank you that you remember me. Thank you. You remember me. Mm. And so Zechariah is there, and this whole thing was unfolded, exploded in everybody's face when their baby is born, and Zechariah's watching the whole thing. And, well, maybe he wasn't, because back in the day, he really didn't. But, but they come out, and they go, guess what, Zechariah? You got a little baby, a baby boy. And, and, and they, say, they turn to Elizabeth because he can't talk. And they go, well, I guess you're going to name him Zachariah because that's what you do. You name the child after the, the father. And she goes, no. Oh, no, 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 no. You, you, Zachariah, that's what everybody normally does. And, and all of a sudden, something rises up 
within Zechariah himself. And, 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 and he's like about to explode because the Lord had told him that it wasn't going to be called Zechariah. But he couldn't talk. And he remembered this visitation from an angel. This supernatural event that's taken place in the last nine months that his son that was about to, that is now here would be the forerunner of something even greater that was coming down the pipe. His, his whole theology is being blown up in his mind. And he goes, and see, he's like, I can't take anymore. I wish I could say something. And he just like, with all of his Michaels, no, John. Uh, did you just talk? Yes. John, he won't be called Zachariah. He'll be called John. And then he busts out into the song. I mean, it's just a musical of musicals. Everyone's dancing around. Got the guitars going on. But why? Why? What's so significant? Why, why, what's wrong with Zachariah? Zachariah is a great name. It means God remembers. That's a good name. Listen, of all names, we need the name. It should be Zachariah. God has remembered us. Come on, Zachariah. What are you doing? What's going on? He goes, no, he must be called John. What's so significant about John? Because it means, it means this. John means God is gracious. It's not enough that he's remembered me. He's gone past remembering me. And now he has poured his grace upon what's grace mean. Grace means Unmerited favor. The blessings of heaven are now mine. I don't want you to remember me. I want you to bless me. Come on. You don't want to be remembered. You want to be blessed. Listen, if I just gave my kids, the kids over Christmas time, and they open up their gifts, and they get a card from mom and dad. Hey, we just want you to know we remembered you today. Congratulations, son, sweetheart, daughter. We have remembered you. They're like, what? No. I want, I want more than just to be remembered. What do you want? I don't know. A car? <laughs> well, by golly, this is your lucky day because my name is John and I'm gracious. My name's not John, but I... Because gracious means the blessings of God. And Zechariah reminds us that John that John the Baptist is coming to speak to all of humanity that the grace of God is descending upon humanity for the first time in 4,000 years. Can you give God some praise for his grace this morning? And lastly, we're done. This story reminds me that Jesus changes Everything. I, I got to read the Passion Bible, one of my new favorite Bibles I'm loving to read out of. It. 77, 78, chapter 1 of Luke says this. This is the song being sung. You will preach to his people the revelation of salvation life. He's talking about, he's talking about uh, a, a Jesus coming here. And you will preach about and the cancellation of all of our sins to bring us back to God. And get, get, get this. And the splendor light of heaven's glorious sunrise is about to break upon us in a holy 
and visitation. All because the merciful heart of our God is so very tender. Let me just read that one more time. And the splendor, light of heaven's glorious sunrise is about to break upon us in a holy visitation. Mm. Thank you, Father, for breaking upon us with a heavenly sunrise. You know, when the sun comes up, you don't need artificial light anymore. You turn off the lights in the house, you turn off the lampposts, there's no need for artificial light because the sun covers it. You do your best to dress up, you get out into the sunlight and you see a little spot on your blouse you never saw inside. Ah. You get to work, sitting there in the sunlight, you look down at your socks and they're, one's black and one's blue <laughs> or brown. You didn't see it. You didn't see that until the sun came out. And what he says unto us, the splendor light of heaven's glorious sunrise is about to break out upon us in a holy visitation when Jesus comes on the scene. You don't have to wonder, is this blue, or is this brown, or is this black? Is this right? Is this wrong? Is this good? Is this bad? Suddenly, his heavenly light appears upon our lives, and we go, oh, my goodness. Uh, this is the way I will walk thee in it. Uh, this is God's purpose for my life. Uh, this is God's direction and plan for my family. This is God's blessings upon my heart and my life. Uh, and you begin to walk in his heavenly light. Um, When you're filled with this heavenly light, you just got to sing. So next time you're at that stoplight and you feel and sense the goodness of God blow into your little car, I give you permission to go with it. Let it take you somewhere. Sing to the Lord a heavenly song. In fact, I encourage you to begin to be a person that sings God a new song. Sing your own song unto the Lord in your personal time with the Lord. I've written so many songs to the Lord, I, I, can't, even, I can't even count. Only thing is I've never recorded any of them and they never wrote them down. They're just new every time I sing them. But they're songs he put in my heart. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to visit us online at summitchurch.tv or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at summitchurch.tv.